This is the Paranormal, a podcast in which two people of questionable talent and dubious virtue discuss a tale from paranormal history. Follow us on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you're so inclined, leave us a review. But in any case, on with the show. Welcome to a podcast in which I relate uh, a tale from paranormal history to a person I know. In this case, my co-host, Matt. Hey guys, nice to see you. Uh, and we're going to go straight into it. The uh, purpose of this podcast is to uh, relay without any preparation, uh, or any at least any preparation on his part rather than mine. Which is lucky because uh, I've done zero. <laughs> <laughs> a tale from Paranormal History. So, on the 17th of January, 1881, Harry Price was born in Red Lion Square, London. His father, Edward Price, had been a successful grocer, but had encountered scandal in 1875, when at age 42, he was rumoured to have made a 14-year-old girl by the name of Emma Randall Meach pregnant. (laughs) The rumours alienated his customers, so Edward Price married Meach, who was by now 15 years of age, and Meach soon gave birth to their first child. Nonetheless, the business did not recover, and by the time of Harry's birth, his parents had sold the business in Theobald's Road to Henry Harrod, and begun work as a paper seller in Cannon Street. The Price's fortunes improved, and by the time Harry was six, the family purchased their own home in Brockley near New Cross Gate. Young Harry started attending school at London Board School in New Cross. However, he was not a popular boy and was bullied for being short, and he developed a stammer. There is nothing wrong being short or stammering. It's, it's Bullying quite, is bad, that's what I'm saying. It is, and it, that's the message I want people to come away with. Bullying is bad, and Matt empathises quite thoroughly with Harry Price. Thank you. Moving on. He was later described as a solitary child who spent most of his time alone and enjoyed inventing games and stories and conversing with imaginary friends. Okay, can I just cut in right there? Because whatever this story is, I don't know. We've summed up there, haven't we, already? You've told me that he's a bit of a loner, a made-up story, so everything else from this point forward can be explained by the fact that he was made up by Harry Price. But he's he's a child. Everyone makes a bit up. Okay, keep going, keep going. Very judgmental. I am very judgmental, yeah. When he was eight, Harry attended a medicine show presented by a mountebank who called himself the Sequa. What's a medicine show? That must have been the dullest show in the world. <laughs> no, so th- I think these, they were quite these are paracetamol and these ones are aspirin. So you've heard of a, a snake oil salesman, that sort of phrase yes, for a, yeah. a huckster who sells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this will make your hair grow back. You, yeah. yeah. Didn't work, did it? For you? No, no, I really shouldn't have been suckered no. in. Uh, no, he's exactly that. So okay, it's great. a uh, raconteur who travels around the country, in this case London, uh, England, and tries to sell various potions and filters and okay, things of dubious affect. Yeah, got you. So this particular mountebank was called the Sequa. Sequa was a Yorkshireman named William Henry Hartley, who dressed as Native American and sold a variety of filters and potions. And in the days before dentistry, or at least oh, modern dentistry dear. as we know yeah. it, would demonstrate his out. skill at tooth pulling. Oh, oh my! Nice. Right. It was said he could remove as many as 320 teeth in 40 minutes. A pace of 8 teeth per minute. Yeah, anyone could do that with a sledgehammer. Well, yeah, I mean, you could do 8 in one fell swoop. Yeah, you could, couldn't you? I think, I presume you used pliers or some similar. Okay. He also demonstrated the use of his sequas oil for curing rheumatism mm-hmm. and would invite members of the crowd on stage for treatment. On one occasion, a man had to be carried onto stage, complaining he'd been blighted by rheumatism for 16 years. 
The Sekra applied his oil, and the man's pain vanished. The two of them danced a jig together. It's almost as if, I don't know, he was somebody that he knew beforehand <laughs> and set him up as a plant in the audience, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. Inquiries were made locally, mm. and the man was found to be an outdoor labourer at the Duke of Norfolk Sheffield estate. He'd missed only half a day's work in the past three months, <laughs> and his colleagues expressed surprise that he'd been carried onto the stage, as they'd never known anything to be wrong with him. What's that? Sorry, Mike, you were right, you're so clever? Oh, okay. Is that just your internal monologue, just yeah, constantly my voice, praising? Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah. I can see how you might need that to get through. Yeah, because nobody else ever praises me. Yeah. No. So young Harry was spellbound by the show. But he was not foolish enough to believe the Sequoia's act. Even the eight-year-old sees mm-hmm. right through it. He rushed home and demanded his father buy him a copy of Modern Magic, a popular guide to conjuring tricks, so that he could learn to be a magician. As Harry progressed on to secondary school, he developed an interest in the occult and began to read widely in folklore, spiritualism, mediumship and other esoteric subjects. Despite, or perhaps because of this wide range of interests, he left school at 15 with few qualifications. He had become self-assured, however, and had developed a certain charm and eloquence. He began working at his father's company. Hmm. Shortly after this, Harry made the bold claim to the local press, which is about 15, 16 at this stage, that he had created a radio transmitter and receiver, and with the help of some friends, had managed to capture the image of a radio wave on a photographic plate. Wow. He began studying photography, chemistry, and engineering at night school. He also wrote in his leisure time, including stage plays with titles including Half Hours with the Mediums and Poltergeist. In 1902, at the age of 42, his mother, Emma Price, died. Harry, now 21, became a travelling salesman for the paper company that his father worked at and began contributing articles to various newspapers. He wrote a series of articles regarding coin collecting that established his reputation as a journalist. These articles also prompted his appointment as honorary curator of the Ripon Naturalist Club and Scientific and Literary Association. By this time, he was regularly attending spiritualist gatherings and observed mediums and seances with a magician's eye. Familiar with spiritualism? No. (laughs) Here's a clue. If if, if you ask me a question, there's a long pause. (laughs) The answer's probably no. But I think. Yeah, that that, that ruins my last comment. Spiritualism is kind of a church thing where you can go along and you'll sit there and somebody says, I'm getting a message for somebody with an A in their name. Is that right? Uh, someone you know has died. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And so it's it's a, a pseudo-religious... Don't sue me if I've got that wrong, anybody. No, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure spiritualists would probably disagree with the overall thrust of, yeah, uh, of but what it's we're all saying. But, but it's a pseudo-religious uh, outfit with its roots in the, the Victorian era in particular. So right. what we're looking at here, the late, or we're in the late Victorian era now. Yep. Uh, very much about, uh, you know, the dead can be contacted mm-hmm. uh, and exactly the sort of things that you've described. So he developed a bit of interest in all this sort of stuff, and he'd also studied as a magician. So he went to seances uh, with a bit of a, a magician's eye. Yeah. So typical acts uh, that Harry would have been exposed to included materialization mediums, who would cause spiritual bodies to appear in the seance room, and transcendental mediums, who would channel the voices of the long dead. So very similar to sort of thing you've just described, but claiming to speak as the spirit. Whereas a materialization medium would be producing some sort of physical object that was uh, an apple created by spirits. Okay. That sort of thing's very much died out over the last few years. Mm. And by the last few years, I mean the last 100 years. Once photography and lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's <laughs> lights. Yeah. Once people could actually see what was going on. Yeah, okay. Harry was unimpressed with much of what he saw, concluding that spirits apparently on display could be explained by terms of normality, mm-hmm. although he still retained a belief in the spirit world. A couple of years later, Edward Price died, leaving Harry and his sister Annie as orphans. 
Harry married Constance Knight, a woman he had known for several years. The Knights were a wealthy family, allowing Harry, along with his salesman income and occasional earnings from journalism, to live quite comfortably. After a short honeymoon in Scarborough, fancy. <laughs> not, that, not that comfortably if he took his wife to Scarborough. But anyway, go on. The newly married Prices went to live with Constance's mother in Pulborough, West Sussex. It seems that Harry did not get on particularly well with his new mother-in-law, and a new house was built for he and Connie on a plot next door, a house which they named Aram's Bank, after the nearby river Aram. So he didn't get on with his mother-in-law, so she built him a house. I mean, not not personally. See, that's the problem, because I get on quite well with my mother-in-law, but... Perhaps if you didn't, Yeah, if I didn't, she might build me a house. Okay, I'll try that, yeah. Price got to know the canon of St Mary's in Pulborough, a man named William Wortley Bagley. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just a name. It's William Wortley Bagley. Mm. It does sound like a a character out of Wurzel Gummidge. It does, doesn't it? Uh, Bagley had a keen interest in the Roman Empire and owned the finest collection of Roman antiquities in Sussex. Harry explained to Bagley and his friends that he too was an ardent Romanist, a studier of the Roman Empire. I knew. (laughs) And that he himself had once discovered a collection of Roman relics in Greenwich Park including uh, a denarius of Mark Antony, denarius being a currency from the Roman era. Harry gave a lecture on the town's Roman past, that's Pulborough, West Sussex, not Greenwich, Mm. at St Mary's, and displayed numerous Roman relics from his personal collection, including a vast coin collection, urns, fragments of mosaics, and other typical items. Harry regularly found items of interest on walks or whilst otherwise about the county of Sussex. He once found a bronze statuette of Hercules in the bank of the River Aram at the bottom of his garden. Oh, rubbish. You don't find a bronze statue in the bottom. That's like... We're uh, talking about... I found a bronze statue of Hercules the other day. Yeah, of course. You're right in it at the bottom of your garden. Mm. Yeah, and it's because it had been chucked over the fence by uh, some local ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> that, that carried around <laughs> Roman artefacts. Yes. So, top tip. If you do find a, a bronze statuette in your garden... Check with local police because it probably has been leaked. <laughs> it's probably been burgled from the house next door. Yes. And thrown. Or from West Sussex. Indeed. Or mm. is it East Sussex, West Sussex? Uh, it was West Sussex. West Sussex, okay, West Sussex. Uh, so he found this bronze statuette in the bank of the River Aram at the bottom of his garden. Yeah, that he nicked. Jumping into the river to retrieve it after seeing the legs of the statue sticking out of the mud. Uh, in just, this is. This is rubbish. Uh, we haven't even got onto the sort of the, the, the story that is disbelievable, and I don't believe this, but, but okay. <laughs> don't go even on. believe the believable stuff. No. One of the circle of antiquarians that Harry socialised with suggested that he exhibit his bronze statue at Hercules in London. Harry's finding of treasures began to pick up pace. Within the following year, he found a bone inscribed with runic characters and a Roman silver ingot, mm-hmm. all close to the surface of the soil whilst on local walks. Yeah, same way that I found an iPhone <laughs> and a Mercedes. <laughs> In my local park. Yep, okay. Just above the soil. Yeah, just above the soil, Your Honour. There were some questionable characteristics about these treasures, however. The bronze statue of Hercules showed no weathering or smoothing, despite having been buried and later exposed to the river water. Mm -hmm. And the ingot had an entirely regular shape and retained its engravings, despite being nearly a thousand years in age. Mm -hmm. Harry's ingot was examined by E.J. Haverfield, the country's leading authority on Roman history. Haverfield quickly exposed the ingot as a fake. (gasps) Shocking. The ingot was not the only thing that Harry had been less than truthful oh, about. Oh, no. So remember that he... Was uh, married. Well, no, that's true. Okay. No, uh, he didn't invent his wife. Okay. Uh, fortunately for him, perhaps not so fortunately for her. Uh-huh. Uh, he failed all his engineering exams and was working in a paper company, which he neglected to tell most of his colleagues. Oh, yeah. Uh, he later wrote that the Department of Chemistry that he studied under was under the charge of the famed chemist Charles Bloxham. That seems quite unlikely 
as Bloxham died at least 10 years before I wrote <laughs> But perhaps he contacted him in the spirit yeah, world. Yeah, maybe he did, yeah. He could have supervised his dissertation yeah, through a medium. Yeah, yeah. His coin collecting articles were found to be entirely plagiarised from another source, and he really knew very little about coin collecting or indeed journalism at all. But he was very good at plagiarism. He was. was. That's a skill. It is. This is a bit like the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. He's not good at moral things. Yeah, no. But he is quite good at lying. Yeah. Mm. Uh, his bold claim to the local press about creating a radio transmitter and receiving and managing capture that the image true, of a radio wave on a photographic plate. At this point, that had not been achieved by any of the authorities oh, on radio no. waves, and the plate has never been found. Oh. So it's entirely possibly could have made a radio transmitter and receiver at this point, but photographing a radio wave was probably a bit beyond a 16-year-old in London with no formal scientific training. So what you're basically saying is that he was a liar. Certainly about these things. Okay. So following the embarrassment with the ingot, Harry disappeared from the amateur archaeologist scene and returned to his interest in spiritualism. He's just taking a break, becoming a regular photographer at seance meetings. He developed a dream of setting up a laboratory to examine psychic phenomena. Perfectly laudable dream. Mm -hmm. However, his pursuit of spiritualism... You share that dream, don't you? Be honest. I would absolutely love to do it. I think only the fact that I would be entirely wasting my my life. Time, money, yeah. I mean, I'm wasting my life at the moment. This is true, yeah, you are a waste. Dramatically different. At least you can have some fun. However, his pursuit of spiritualism, which occasionally led him abroad to various European destinations, was interrupted by the outbreak of the First World War in 1914. Selfish war. I know, why don't they think about these things? He was turned down for military service for undisclosed medical reasons. Compulsive lying, is that a medical reason? Being mildly bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, Harry enlarged his home workshop to assist in the war effort by manufacturing fuses, eventually managing to produce a thousand a month before he was made night foreman at a local clockmaker's that had been repurposed into a munitions factory. Or at least that's what he said. Records of munitions contributions from the time, which are intact and complete, do not show Harry as manufacturing fuses or working as a night foreman. Oh, you see. The war was, however, a great boon to Harry's other passion of spiritualism, with a large-scale loss of young life that the war occasioned. This resulted in a resurgence of interest in contacting the spirit world. Oh, well, you know, every cloud. Yeah. Silver lining. So you're telling me that the millions and millions of people that died in First World War helps to bolster uh, a newfound belief in spiritualism. And certainly helped bolster the pockets of several mediums and spirituals. That's horrendous. Mm. Mm. Mediums and clairvoyants could make a considerable living contacting the many dead sons of the families of England and its empire. Great. It's capitalism to the ultimate extreme. Indeed. There's a demand for that kind of crap, so someone's going to supply it. Absolutely right. Got it. Okay. After the war, Harry returned to his paper merchants. He engaged further with spiritualism and in 1920 joined the Magic Circle, through which he was able to meet several prominent spiritualists, parapsychologists and enthusiasts, including Eric Dingwall, later head of... They've all got stupid names. I wouldn't trust him either. Dingle. Dingwall. Uh-huh. Dingwall. You can say it as many times as you want. It's still a stupid name. Dingwall. Okay, Dingwall. It'll, yeah. it'll come up quite a few Eric times Dingwall. In, in, in various... I'm going to write that down, okay. Later head of psychical research at the SPR. SPR is the Society for Psychical Research. Then, and arguably now, the most prominent Society for Psychical Research in the country. <laughs> of all the Societies for Psychical Research, that's the most <laughs> prominent one. There's quite a few local ones. Really? Quite, yeah. It's, it's sort of a do-it-yourself Yeah, there's a reason thing. for that, because <laughs> there's no funding to do it on a bigger scale. Uh, there was back in... Well, back in those days and, and sort of up until the latter half of the 20th century, but yeah, now. I think with the advancements of personal technology, so cameras on your phone, apps to measure temperature on your phone, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, somebody's pretty much debunked all of these silly stories. And anyone could become a ghost investigator, I would suggest. Like you. <laughs>
Harry was also introduced to famous magician, escapologist, and debunker of psychic phenomena, Harry Houdini. Yes! Do you know, I meant to say that, when you started all this and you were talking about Harry as a young boy growing up, I was going to say to you, is it Harry Houdini? And I didn't say it because no, you were going to say to me, don't be so stupid. And actually it wasn't, it was about the right time. Yeah, Could have been it him. was about the right time. Yeah. It's the right sort of industry. But was he not American, Harry Houdini? Yeah, I think so, was he? Or did he yes. die in America? But he had European ancestry, I think. But his name wasn't Harry. Who's? Harry Houdini. It wasn't Harry. He changed his name to Harry Houdini. Well, but after that he met Harry Price, after he met this guy. No, he was already called Harry okay. Houdini when he met Harry Price. Okay. The two started a long and tumultuous friendship, thanks to their shared interests. Harry's association with Dingwall led the SPR to enlist his help in investigating William Billy Hope prominent proponent of spirit photography. Spirit photography was the supposed capture of spectres and ghosts in a photograph with a living sitter. This was usually achieved by the switching of the photographic plate in the often dark room that the process took place in. So not the dark room where you develop photographs, the dark room where you're alleging you're taking a photograph of a living person yeah. where a ghost will later appear in the finished image. Yeah. So what, you take half the photo, get them to move out, and then... So remember, photography at this stage, yeah. you'd have to sit... Still, Still for, for a long, long period time. of time. Yeah, yeah not, not as long as, you know, 10, 15 years prior. Mm. You would sit still. So you'd have a living person sitting in a dark room mm. and take a photograph of them. Mm. You'd develop the photograph. And within the photograph, you'd have the image of the living person and then also a sort of spectral image. Yeah, of, but how did you get the spectral image in there? Do you, uh, sorry, do you want me to actually go into how it works? <sighs> I was going to say, did you get somebody to walk through the photo whilst they were doing it slowly? No, 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 no. So no. There's, not, there's not a second person there. But... So, so it's meant to be, so really it's meant to be a ghost. Yes, okay. but it isn't, obviously. Yeah. So I mean, the photography still worked back then very similar to how it does now, but just mm. at a more basic level. So you had photographic plates instead of film. So you have a, a light-sensitive emulsion of silver salt on the glass plate. I love the way that you're making yourself sound really knowledgeable whilst reading it off the screen. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, so you've got your silver salts of... Yep, glass. Yeah, so, yeah. And they use glass because it was um, superior to any other sort of material. Yeah. Because otherwise it might bend like and distort. Wood. And so the light shines onto, the light reflects whatever you're pointing the camera at. Mm-hmm. That is reflected onto the plate. Yeah. The light sensitive salts pick up the differing levels of light and that's what creates the image yeah. on the plate. And, and then the all go- you do is put different things on the plate when you're developing it. And the ghost comes from? Putting some sort of image in there by. Either already making. etched onto the plate or. Yeah, sort of so basically paint just... shop. <clears throat> yeah, Victorian okay. paint, paint shop. shop. Okay, got it. So yeah, in the areas on the plate that receive the most exposure to light. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> just that's how photography works a bit like well, that. Well, thanks for joining us on Photography for Beginners <laughs> this week. The photography cast. Mm. Spirits in photography <gasps> since What about the, the um, what is it that we're talking about? Psych. The psychonormal. Psych- you mocked my explanation of Victorian. <laughs> I can't remember what I'm talking about. The psycho. I've got psychotherapy stuck in my head now. I don't mean that. I don't know what you're talking about. The, this, this podcast, we were thinking of calling it the mm, podcast. Psycho- paranormal. Paranormal, that's yeah. it. Paranormal. I'm sorry for shouting. And. Um, a paranormal photography podcast. That was my point. We could too. But then we'd have to do it all on paranormal photography. It's quite limited. Well, most subject. of what you've been waffling on the last 10 minutes is about <laughs> photography, and I still don't understand it. So, uh, get back to the story. So he's doing some dodgy photographs where he's faking stuff to try yeah. and. So William make Billy money. Hope is producing allegedly real, but most likely yeah. provably false photographs yeah. of yeah. dodgy-looking ghosts with living yeah. sitters. I think you might have hit the nail on the head there when you say probably not real, 
They've got ghosts in them. <laughs> there aren't any ghosts. You've got to have an open mind. There are no ghosts. Such a sceptic. You'll never see anything paranormal if you have such a sceptical attitude. <laughs> Harry worked out a ruse to find out if Hope was secretly exchanging the photographic plates during the sitting. Mm. He offered to sit for Hope with a colleague from the Magic Circle acting as the experimenter. The experimenter would provide Hope with photographic plates to use. Mm-hmm. So the, the suspicion was that Hope had these pre-prepared plates with the ghosts on that he'd swap out very quickly in the darkened room yeah. when he took the photograph. Yeah. Uh, so the experimenter would provide Hope with their own photographic plates. Harry would use x-rays to secretly mark these plates with the figure of a lion rampant, the logo of the Imperial Dry Plate Company. Wow. The logo did not show up on the final image. Yeah. They'd know that Hope had swapped the plates out with his own plates not provided by Price. Gotcha. So he's doing the old switcheroo. With x-rays. Yes. Yes. I thought you were going to say eggs. No, n- not even eggs, with x-rays. Eggs-rays. 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 This is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I get a free elocution lesson as well. With x-rays. So, if the logo did not show on the final image, then he would know that Hope had switched out the plates Price provided with a plate of his own that had been doctored. Mm-hmm. Or could have been doctored. Mm. Unsurprisingly, the logo did not appear on any of Hope's photographs, which showed Harry Price sitting with a female form behind him. And you can find those on Google Images. Mm-hmm. So you have done some research. Loads of research. That's amazing. So, Price had proven Hope to be a fraud. Yeah. When this was revealed in an article printed four months later, Harry became famous to those who opposed the charlatanism present in so much of spiritualism, but infamous amongst those uh, who vehemently supported it, yeah. including Sherlock Holmes creator Arthur Conan Doyle. <gasps> well, he supported it. But he believed lots of things okay. which may not have been entirely true. Okay. Ironic, of course, given yeah, that he created, created the uh, world's greatest truth seeker, mm. which we were talking about in the pilot that nobody else is going to hear. <laughs> and we were saying, uh, I said that um, uh, Sherlock Holmes took a lot of uh, opiates, mm-hmm. uh, and you said that no, he was a cokehead. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I have done some research of my own. <laughs> he did both. Fascinating. It is, isn't it? Thank you for your contribution. Uh, shall I shut up now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. So. Doyle and 83 other members of the SPR resigned. There was a mass wow. resignation wow. after they exposed That's Billy claiming that the SPR was opposed to spiritualism. Harry, against the wishes of some of his new colleagues, would go directly to the press with his findings, not necessarily waiting for the society and its partners to produce reports. He's a bit of a maverick, yeah. old Harry. Mm. He produced and promoted a pamphlet regarding the exposure of hope called Cold Light on Spiritualist Phenomena. So he's doing the Lord's work here. He's he is, exposing, yeah, yeah, yeah. exposing charlatans. Yeah. This only inflamed his critics further, and conspiracy theories regarding Price somehow sabotaging Hope's genuine efforts began to circulate. Yes. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. nothing new under the sun, is there? Fake news. Hope agreed to be tested again, after it was allegedly found that 60% of the plates altered with the Lion Rampant logo were found to have no sign of the logo when developed. Oh. So Price has had his little x-ray plates. Mm, that didn't work. Apparently they don't work. Several control conditions were offered, with Hope agreeing to have the room examined, be subject to a full body search, have his camera examined, and have the SPR provide the plates. I'm so glad you said camera, not equipment. <laughs> full body <laughs> search, having his equipment no, examined. We'll go on to this, but you'll still be surprised how much bizarre psychosexual weirdness creeps into all this spiritualism malarkey. Well, as I'm alone in your house, with <laughs> I'm hoping it doesn't creep in, but okay, let's go for it. However, the SPR backed Harry with Doyle and his coterie reaching out to offer an olive branch, believing Price to be an innocent victim of anti-spiritualist zeal. Yeah, right. So he kind of got through it okay. Harry continued with his work in the SPR, leading a charge to reprint books around techniques used by false mediums. 
His next chance to investigate psychical phenomena came when Eric Dingwall asked Harry to accompany him to an examination of Willy Schneider. (laughs) (laughs) Schneider and his brother Rudy, Rudy and Willy Schneider, worked worked as trance mediums, claiming to channel a spirit entity called Olga, who also claimed to be the spirit of Lola Montez, the notorious mistress of blind King Ludwig of Bavaria. Who was a real person, Lola Montez? I want to check a real person on the screen that you're reading this and not just making it up off your head. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Yeah, okay, fine. Rudy was also uh, working as a materialisation medium, and between them, the brothers' repertoire extended to materialising hands, producing disembodied sound and music, and the production of ectoplasm. You know what ectoplasm is? Yeah, that's kind of like gunk. Yeah, I've seen um, like Ghostbusters. A, yes, it's the like original, a white, not the greasy remake. substance. So these materialisation mediums, in particular, would produce ectoplasm during a performance. White liquid would pour from an orifice in their body, usually the mouth. Okay, God. Ears, uh-huh. Genitals. But also, yes, sometimes from many of the females would have it from the genitals, not the males in particular. So yes, ectoplasm, and that would form shapes and produce objects, and then vanish after the seance, allegedly. Okay. This all stuff all sort of vanished when they decided they should probably put the lights on during seances, and also photography improved to the point that you could easily make out the images if they were photographed and see that they were probably not some magical spirit substance. Things from the ceiling, and yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, There was also (coughs) something called teleplasm uh, as well, just in case you hear that term too. Teleplasm. So... The Schneider brothers, yeah. Willie and Rudy, did all of this sort of stuff. The round of experimenting that Harry and Dingwall attended appeared to be particularly convincing, with 100 scientists, including Price and Dingwall, signing an unchallenged statement that the Schneider brothers were able to prove the reality of telekinesis. Wow. Moving objects with the power of one's mind, of course. Thank you. Mm. I was still impressed when I didn't know what it meant. But no, you didn't know what that meant, did you? Telekinesis, well, uh, no. Oh. There's lots of... Names of silly things. Okay. So Harry and Dingwall reported their findings back to the SPR. Harry then pr- proceeded to produce his own articles on the matter, substantially downplaying Dingwall's role. So right. he's just, so just, he's just stabbed him in the back, yeah. pretty much. By the time Harry wrote about this matter in his autobiography, he ceased to mem- mention Dr. Dingwall at, <laughs> at all. all yeah. mm. This guy should go into politics. He's this. <laughs> he is the, the fake newsman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, despite their ringing endorsement of Rudy and Willie, a year later, the, Austra- uh, the Austrian pardon me, Institute for Radiumforschung der Akademik der Wissenschaften. Well, I definitely don't know what that means. Nailed it. Uh, investigated <laughs> them both and found that on the balance of probability, all of their results were likely due to trickery. No, really? I know. Harry also investigated Anna Fay, a famous American medium. Fay had been tested many years earlier by scientist Sir William Crookes, he of the Crookes radiometer fame. The radiometer... I think you're using the word fame in a different way. To <laughs> most he's famous amongst did he win X Factor? <laughs> no, he's not famous, then, is he? But if we got a medium into the room and got in touch with him, you never know. <laughs> There's a lot of singing and playing of musical instruments in these seances as yeah, well. That's probably what X Factor needs this season: is a mm. somebody joining in from beyond the grave. Well, it's it's like when Derek Acora and Yuri Geller and other yeah people but... tried to contact Michael Jackson and did they? Yeah, I didn't see that yeah. on TV. Oh yeah, it was an attempt to. Oh, brilliant. Mm. And what happened? Oh, they didn't do it together. This oh. was separate. Right. Sort of, I think Yuri Geller did it on Celebrity Big Brother, didn't he? Sort That's of, a bit weird. Yeah. They were very good friends, though, weren't they? Yuri they were. Yeah. Whereas Derek Cora just did this sort of cash-in, yeah. I'm going to do a medium, a uh, seance, pardon me, to try and contact Michael Jackson. Unsurprisingly, nothing. 
came through. Yeah, but when you use the words cash in there, is that, <laughs> again, that's also uh, libelous. Um, did Michael and Yuri have no, a it's chat slander. On? It's only oh, it's true, it's, print. Yeah, they saw you. Very, oh, right. It's only slanders. So, Sir William Crookes, a very prominent scientist who also uh, tested Anna Fay many years before, uh, and he was president of the SPR at the time. He enthusiastically endorsed Fay, as well as many other mediums, many of whom have since been exposed unequivocally as fakes. Crookes tested Faye in 1875 by having her hold two electrodes in an electrical circuit connected with a galvanometer in the adjoining room. To move her hands would break the circuit, so he could tell whether she was uh, surreptitiously producing the effects oh, okay. with her hands. Yeah. Now this is where, particularly with mediums and this sort of testing, mm. it's so heavily weighted towards the mediums getting away with it because they would often insist oh I can only perform behind a curtain or I can only perform yeah, in the dark okay. yep. and the testers would have to accommodate this I can only perform and, if you all close your eyes basically don't watch me uh, you'd be surprised how often in modern poltergeist cases that comes up as well okay only ever happens if you're looking the other way but it does happen well, I'll tell you what you just turn around Neil and we'll see what happens to that chocolate croissant that's <laughs> still sat on the table so that was his uh, his way of testing uh, whether she was doing it secretly with her hands. Okay. Despite being linked up to this circuit, a musical instrument was played and objects were moved about. Wow. Mm. Many years later, uh, and not long before poor old uh, Sir William Crooks, scientist Sir William Crooks, died, Faye admitted to Dr. <gasps> Dingwall that she had cheated. No. Later revealing that she'd gripped one of the handles of the battery uh, circuit beneath her knee joint, keeping the circuit unbroken, leaving one hand free to get up to mischief. <laughs> <laughs> I perhaps didn't word that terribly well. Um, as an aside, Crooks' biographer, William Hodson Brock, everyone's got three names in this story, yeah. wrote that Crooks was evidently short-sighted and did not wear spectacles until the 1890s. Until then, he may have used a monocle or a pocket magnifying glass when necessary. What limitations this opposed on his psychic investigations, we can only imagine. Uh, not really imagine, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> he couldn't see. <laughs> when Harry came to investigate Anna, she would perform behind a screen. She would be tied to a post, whilst on a table next to her there would be objects like a bell, a rattle, a tambourine, uh, and other things like this. The audience on the other side of the screen would be treated to the bell ringing, the tambourine playing, and the screen even pushing itself over by the spirits. I can't think of nothing worse than going to a concert and listening to tambourine playing or bell ringing by somebody who was able to use their hands. The thought of having to listen to that... She was tied up to the post. Yeah, I know, but the thought of having to, to listen to music from a tambourine and a bell being controlled by somebody that couldn't use their hands properly... That was horrendous. Harry managed to ferret out that all Faye was doing was slipping out of the bandages she was tied to the post with, muck about a bit, and then jump back into the ties. <laughs> muck about a bit? <laughs> the worst thing is, they've only tied her with bandages... Oh, we're going to produce a rigorous scientific study and really make sure you can't move. Let me get these bandages and tie you up. It's just odd. Harry's exposure of mediums like Faye and his subsequent lecture tours increased his fame. He began to make plans to set up and operate a laboratory of his own, as he had dreamed all those years ago. However, his keenness was apparently not just to expose fakery, but to prove the existence of spiritualism, as he had apparently done in the testing of Rudy and Willie Schneider. This was something of a push and pull for him between the competing camps. The spiritualists like Conan Doyle, who saw him readier as a conversion to their cause, and the relative scepticism of the SPR and others who saw him as exposing frauds. This was well represented by his dual working relationships with the SPR and the rival, credulous, London Spiritualist Alliance. So he does a bit of work for both. He's a double agent, isn't he, <laughs> in the spiritualist world? It does make it all sound a bit exciting, doesn't it? Yeah. In early 1923, and partly in response to trying to win a $2,500 prize from Scientific American for providing an authentic medium, Harry made the acquaintance of Stella Cranshaw, a 21-year-old who claimed that mysterious phenomena dogged her steps. 
Harry assembled a team, including the hapless Eric Dinwall, to study Stella. It was a thrilling session, a table levitated and the room temperature dropped by 20 degrees and two table legs broke in two. In a convincing display of precognition, Stella claimed to have visualised a copy of the Daily Mail from approximately a month hence, which she stated would contain large capital letters reading Andrew Salt and the image of a man kneeling over the boy and pouring out white powder from a bottle or tin. So she stood there and said, this will be on the cover of the Daily Mail. Yeah, did she edit the Daily Mail? <laughs> no, she was not the editor okay, of the Daily Mail. Okay. Six days later, mm. the whole of the front page of the Daily Mail was no. taken up by an advertisement for Andrew's liver salts. The image was of a boy in tears having spilt the salt and a man standing over him. Okay, so she worked for the advertising agency that placed the adverts <laughs> no, for the Daily She certainly did. Oh, that. come on. I, one thing I do want to point out, though, mm. is that at this time, in this time of English history, the front page of the Daily Mail was entirely taken up by an advertisement for Andrew's liver salts. It's very odd. It sounds better than the front page of the Daily Mail nowadays, doesn't well, it? Instead of it just being about Diana or immigrants, or immigrants causing cancer in coffee. I can add, I can put the Daily Mail on my list of yeah, angry yeah. listeners. Good, yeah. Uh, yeah, very odd. <laughs> They're so, not going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Harry apparently made inquiries with the paper, who advised they had not decided to run the advert until two weeks after the seance with Stella Crancher had taken place. Wow. Harry began to make preparations to present Stella as his exhibit for the Scientific American Prize. Wow. So he thought, I've got a, a bona fide, genuine, genuine nutter as a psychic. However, he couldn't get leave from his work at the paper merchants. Oh. Oh. He was loath to let anyone else take Stella in case they stole her away from him. Indeed, their relationship seemed to go sour after this, and the projected trip never occurred. Didn't get his money. Rather, Harry's old hobby of archaeology reared up as he arranged to stage an exhibition of his collection of ancient gold coins at St Mary's Church in Pulborough alongside St Mary's own collection of silver pennies. After placing a request that his contribution of the exhibit be insured, a thief broke into the Uh, church and stole the whole... Oh, yes, but insurance fraud as well. (laughs) Unfortunately, insurance had not been filed and he didn't get any compensation. It was a failed insurance fraud. That's really, really stupid. After Harry's death... Coins identical in appearance to the gold coins and the silver pennies were found in his archive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those stolen coins. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Oh, Harry. Despite the cooling of the relationship, Harry continued his sittings with Stella. Mm. He invented tools to investigate her abilities, including an item called the telekinetoscope. Wow. He's a busy boy. He is. This was, in essence, a pee lamp with an instructive barrier. (laughs) That's the thing. That's the thing. You have to pee on it to make it work. Uh, What is a pee lamp? Let's find out. So, so this was a P-lamp with an obstructive barrier. If the lamp was lit with the barrier unbroken, it would prove telekinesis. So he'd invented a lamp that you couldn't light. Unless something moved through it. Quite right. Okay. Now, you remember I said earlier about how a lot of this Victorian spiritualism involved a sort of weird sexual element. The ectoplasm. Yeah, yeah. The sort of binding everyone up. All a little bit odd. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, a word-for-word extract about the next uh, seance with Stella Cranshaw mm-hmm. from one of the primary sources for this episode, Richard Morris's excellent biography, Harry Price, the Psychic Detective. Buy your copy available now at Amazon, yeah? Please do, it's yeah. excellent. We're not on commission, but you're going to need every penny you can get once uh, the lawsuits come in, so yeah, that's fine. <laughs> at one seance, when the red light came on, Dingwall his head perched between Stella's legs because there was a shortage of chairs. (laughs) What? (laughs) Witnessed the dizzying sight of an opalescent object like a piece of macaroni marching across the lino. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) At one seance when the red light came on, Dingwall, 
his head perched between Stella's legs because there was a shortage of chairs, witnessed the dizzying sight of an opalescent object like a piece of macaroni marching across the lino. Now, I'm going to ignore everything about the macaroni. Yeah. So I, there was a shortage of chairs, Yeah. so he had his head perched between her legs. I'm just really grateful that there are four spare chairs in this room. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't understand. Had his head perched between her legs? Because if I come into a room and all the chairs are taken, I don't think, where am I going to put my Stick face? my head. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my head. Yeah, but you would if there was a 21-year-old and you had a... Did you say he was married, isn't he? Yeah. No, this is this is Eric Dingwall. This isn't uh, Harry Price. Is he married as well? Did you say that? I'm gonna guess that he is. He is, yeah. So Victorian era, yeah. And he's got a 21 year old that he's just do some sittings with, and his wife might walk in at any point. You're gonna think of a good excuse. (laughs) It's not a terribly good excuse. Maybe it meant that he was allowing her to sit on him. Alternatively, why don't they go into another room and get another chair from somewhere? Mm. Very odd. Yeah, very odd. So. Stella Cranshaw, so endorsed by Price, withdrew from the scene in the early 1930s. I didn't say which scene. I mean, I'm, I'm presumed spiritualism. <laughs> I think it's the, uh, the uh, sitting on somebody's face whilst there's a piece of dancing macaroni. Is that in a scene? This is brilliant because the fact that uh, he was sitting on her face because there were no chairs all the way around, yeah. No one mentions the strange bit of macaroni, do they? No. Like, if you want to try and get something That's like that. That's what we really yeah, should probably should be wondering about that. But no, sorry, go on. Whether or not she was tested accurately is uncertain. Most of the instruments used, like the telekinesiscope, were of Price's design, and they enjoyed an unusually close relationship. A most impressive feat, the newspaper advertisement uh, from the Daily Mail about mm. Andrew Liversoll, which yeah. you predicted, yeah. may be explicable by the fact that Harry's paper company was a printing house and undertook uh, printing services for newspapers. Oh, really? Mm. Oh. So if you were being unkind, yeah. you might say that Harry cooked up All of it. the Daily Mail thing. Yeah. To get his £2,500 from Scientific American. Yeah. And when that didn't work, committed insurance fraud that he then didn't do properly because it wasn't filed. Golden rule of insurance fraud. Make sure the insurance is in place before mm. you try and defraud it. 1925, Harry turned his attention back to his plan for a laboratory, entreating the LSA for funds. So that's the London Spiritualist Alliance. Yeah. He was successful in his efforts and was appointed honorary director of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. He'd finally had his dream realised, and it's here that we'll leave Harry Price for now as shortly he would begin some of his most famous investigations of all, including that of Borley Rectory, the most haunted house in England. Ah, oh, cliffhanger. Yeah. Part two. Wait, yeah, I can't wait for that. Wasn't that exciting? Yeah. What do we think of uh, Mr Price? <coughs> he's a charlatan. <laughs> but he's quite clever as well, isn't he? He's not an idiot, he's quite a clever guy. He's a devious little chap. He is, he's really clever to be kind of uh, one minute... Supporting the spiritualists and then the next minute kind of try and debunk them. Mm. He's a bit of a poacher turned gamekeeper. He isn't he? Turned poacher. Yeah. He's a funny chap. Wow, amazing story. <laughs>